Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport as we review all the weekend's action. Alongside me, Sam Matterface, this week is the former Manchester City and England winger Trevor Sinclair and TalkSport's Alex Crook. Sorry, Alex Crook as Liverpool and City <laughs> slug it out at Anfield. Paul Tierney puts his whistle to his lips and wow, what a thoroughly absorbing and entertaining game of Premier League football. Probably go down as one of the Premier League classics between two wonderful wonderful sides both of whom were desperate to get the victory but they share the spoils in the end wonderful game to close for the international break it finishes at Anfield Liverpool 2 Manchester City 2 also this week Harry's hiccups Timo's time comes as Chelsea get back to winning ways Manchester United drop points and Ronaldo might threaten to sue for breach of copyright and two massive shocks as Watford's sacker manager (laughs) And Burnley and Norwich draw nil-nil. Who would have thunk it? Every game reviewed in-depth from TalkSport. It's the Game Day Podcast. This is Game Day. Travis Sinclair is here. Hello, you all right? Hello. Alex, you Okay. I'm good, I'm good. I'm just sipping on some honey and lemon tea. You sounded very croaky on the Darren Bent boot room this weekend. I did. Um, I've been carrying a bit of cold for the uh, for the past couple of days. And uh, yeah, it's caught up with me on this on this Sunday. I think the international break has come at a good time. Uh, we gave him a bit of banter on the old uh, Sunday session. And I said to Perry Groves as he left the studio uh, as a quivering wreck, I said, uh, you can tell he's not very well. Because when we were giving him a bit, he was just like, oh, move on, move on. He wasn't giving anything back. He didn't have it there. It unlike him so him, much. It's usually, it, so, usually so dim-witted, quick-witted, sorry. He might have uh, something to do with yesterday's performance and result. Well, maybe we'll, we'll talk about that later. Right. It was a breathless Sunday of action, though, wasn't it? Last-minute winners at the London Stadium. Palace coming from 2-0 down to draw at home. And the blinding Liverpool and City spectacle. Uh, my favourite moment of the weekend, though, was Mo Salah's terrific, nifty, nimble, oh. somewhat naughty goal against Manchester City. Did you enjoy that, Trevor? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I thought sometimes you have to just um, accept that there's been a bit of brilliance and it was an individual piece of brilliance, you know, the way he took the ball down, showed real strength. I mean, we've seen his physique when he's took his shirt off for for goal celebrations, but he's shown everything there. You know, his strength, his low centre of gravity, his ability to turn and then his bravery to just get at players and Looked like it was pulling it inside, as we've seen so many times, uh, onto his left side. And then he chops it onto his right as a swing and connects perfectly. And no chance for the keeper, right into the stanchion, just inside the post. Yeah, it was an absolutely breathless goal. And uh, yeah, he was superb today, I've got to say. One assist, one goal. And uh, he's just proven, I think, you know, a lot of players when they're in a difficult situation, I call it a difficult situation, they're on a contract worth millions of pounds and it's kind of they're starting to negotiate a, a new contract. Yeah. yeah. And some players struggle <laughs> with that kind of pressure and uh, expectancy. But uh, I think every game that goes by and if, if he can continue to score goals, um, his, his wage demands can continue to go up. <laughs> um, have you recovered from a what was, I suppose, a, a top menu of delicious action? Well, it was a great Sunday. Um, it wasn't great for the vocal cords, the last minute winner that I called for Brentford at West Ham, but they continue to be a breath of fresh air to the Premier League. And we did ask the question on Darren Bent's boot room, and I think the answer is probably yes. Is, is this the best Mo Salah that we've ever seen? And is Mo Salah the best player in the Premier League right now? 
and the core is coming forward and there's space on this near side for Andros Townsend who bursts into the box right footed what a goal on the counter attack from Andros Townsend Manchester United 1 Everton 1 Jimenez turning smartly just inside the Newcastle half he's found Wang who can burst into the area left foot shot brilliant finish from Wang He Chan he is a new star of Bolognese and it's Chelsea 3 Southampton 1 and it's Ben Chilwell his first start in the Premier League this season it fell to Diego Llorente his third appearance of the season and he fired it past Foster Leeds have been dominant Norwich have their first point but both of these sides still without a win Burnley nil, Norwich City nil. Headed back across goal. Mopai won't get there. Brilliant save, Ramsdale. Arsenal wow. hanging on here. What wow. a save, Ramsdale. Nil nil, it stays on Talksport. Tottenham 2, Aston Villa 1, and Spurs are back in front almost straight away. Lucas Moura, the goal scorer, but you have to say credit must go to Hung Min Son. Oh, they have got a winner. Oh, it was palmed out by Fabianski. The header was palmed out, and it's been put in the net back of the net by the sub, Johan Wissa. Crystal Palace 2, Leicester 2. The Foxes' tough start to the season continues. Not only two of the best sides in the Premier League right here today, these are two of the best sides in Europe. There's no doubt about it. It was an absolute football feast. Wonderful game to close for the international break. It finishes at Anfield. Liverpool 2, Manchester City 2. Kevin De Bruyne's late goal ensured a share of the spoils between the last two title winners. There were some great moments in this game. Bernardo Silva riding tackles and slipping in and out of red shirts. Mo Salah's breathtaking goal. Foden's finish. It was high calibre. But did Pep overcomplicate it again, Trevor, by putting Grealish mm. in as the false nine? Yeah, well, listen, we, we, we've not got the privilege of working with these players every day. And I'm sure they've worked on the pattern of play with different players in different positions. Uh, and not having a number nine, you would expect quite a few of the lads, you know, Kevin De Bruyne, Foden, Gabriel Jesus, mm. and Grealish to play in that number nine spot. For I me... I can feel a butt coming on here. Well, no, for me, you're kind of breaking up one of the best combinations that Manchester City have got and one of their biggest strengths. For me, I've, I've, I've watched them all season and Cancelo and Grealish down that left-hand side have been absolutely superb. And to take Grealish out of that spot and put Foden in there, which we all know Foden can play that position... But to break that partnership up I, again in a huge game, it, it, I couldn't help but think he's complicating it again in a huge, huge game away at Anfield. A game that they want to go to on the back of a, a good performance but loss in Paris and, and kind of consolidate what all Manchester City fans think that they're playing exceptionally well. And I didn't think the flow was there down the left-hand side as, as much as it has been uh, against Paris, against Chelsea last week. And uh, yeah, to answer your question, I do. I feel he's complicated it again. Um, and for whatever reason, I don't know. Uh, Torres, Sterling, Grealish, Foden, Jesus have all played as a force nine this season. I don't think they've played 11 games yet. That, that, that would suggest to me that there's a little bit too much tinkering. Yep, I agree. And um, actually at the moment, Ferran Torres seems to be the, the odd one out, doesn't he? Because he is the one who really isn't getting too many minutes on the pitch, which is bad news for my fantasy football team. But I think if you look at the players you've named there, Gabriel Jesus is the most suited to that role. He is the one with the, the most striker's instinct. So I think Pep has overcomplicated it. And if you look at this game, I think it's two points dropped for Manchester City. And that seems churlish after what was a wonderful spectacle in the second half. But they were the dominant force in the first half, Manchester City. Couldn't turn that into goals. And in the end, I think they've ended, ended up dropping a couple of points that could well come back and cost them at the end of the season. Yeah, there was a couple of moments, especially in the first half, where Manchester City had great chances. I can think of Foden's brilliant opportunity where if he'd taken it first time right-footed, instead of trying to take it onto his left foot and then getting closed down by Alisson, you may well have squeezed another goal out of that. You can argue those situations. It was just a great game to watch. I mean, it, it's rare that I get to sit down and just watch a half of football like I did today with a couple of other blokes who were sitting there with me. Perry Groves, one of them, you know, we were just, we were, no one was talking. We were just all marvelling at the football. It was, it was captivating. It really was a great game. Um, might have been different, though, if James Milner had been sent off for a second yellow on Bernardo Silva. Should he have been? 
I think we'll probably all agree that he should have been. Um, I think Pep Guardiola certainly felt so. And I think that sense of injustice came out in, in his celebrations. We should mention that the spitting incident, I don't know if you two guys are aware mm. of, of that, the complaint that Manchester City have made to Liverpool about a member of Pep's backroom staff being spat on. And clearly we don't condone that. But I think James Milner is a lucky boy. Um, and I think Liverpool missed... Trent Alexander-Arnold missed his energy. It was a difficult afternoon for James Milner down that right-hand side. And on another day, I think he would have been shown a second yellow. Well, hold on a second. It's a difficult afternoon for James Milner down that right-hand side, but Pep and Manchester didn't get it right down the left-hand side. What's the story here? Which, which one's got it right? Well, I think I think I think you're right, Cookie. You know, um, I think James Miller did find it very difficult against Phil Foden, but for me, he would have found it even more difficult against Grealish, especially with Cancelo joining that attack down the left hand side for Manchester City. It was it, listen, it was a second yellow card. I, I don't want to harp on about it, but it it was a it was almost because it wasn't a super speeding move. I think it was an easy one for Paul Tierney to get right. It was an easy one for VAR to. Uh, pull back because a foul. I think a foul was given, and to have a look at it and say, actually, you know, what? VAR can't do that. VAR can only do it if it's a straight red, which some people were suggesting it, it could have been. By the way, no. I, I don't agree with that. I think it was it was a second yellow. Yeah, no, I don't agree with that. I think it was a second yellow. I think it was a bookable offence. Um, simple, um, but he got it wrong. And I think as a manager and as a leader of a group of players, you have to keep you you have to keep it together there because obviously Pep knows it's a yellow, uh, second yellow card. Uh, I think Klopp knows it's a second yellow card because literally <laughs> seconds after he gives him the shepherd's hook and replaces him by Gomez. So everyone knew it was a, a second yellow card and yeah, Liverpool got away with one. The foul on Foden uh, as, as well, which was on the, on the edge of the box, stroke mm-hmm. in the box. I'm not so sure. That, um, listen, I, I know it was a foul, and Phil Foden, I've heard his, his sound bites afterwards in the post-match interviews, and he said he's an honest lad. And listen, if I think about players that have been uh, accused of diving... No, he didn't of- dive, but I do think there was a tangle of legs. And actually, Phil Foden might not have realised the fact that actually he kicked his own leg at the same time. Yeah, but what you've got to understand is, Sam... That, that you- is going to make him unstable. I, understand, I don't think it was a dive. If you, if you understand football, Phil, uh, Phil Foden gets there first and cuts across... Mm. I agree. So if if he doesn't get anything on the ball, that is a foul. And the fact that he went to ground and tried to keep his feet, yeah. I think, again, it shows how earnest he is as a player. So for me, yeah, that was another one they got wrong. But in general, listen, it was a, it was a tough game to referee. There was a lot of challenges here, there and everywhere. And it was end to end. I think generally, Paul Cianni did a decent job. It was just a couple of incidents, which were key incidents, which once again went against Manchester City at one of the big club's stadiums. Oh, okay, that sounds a little bit like you've got a little chip on your shoulder there, Trev. Uh, what did it tell us about the uh, title race? I think it, it, it sort of told us that what we already knew, really, that Liverpool are underrated in the sense that they are one of the two best teams in the country and Manchester City are, are the other one of those. I think those two probably have sort of established themselves now as the elite group that, that the others are sort of chasing. Yeah, the league table looks a lot tighter than that, but... <laughs> If you look at the the performances and the points tally, I think we've said on this podcast, you've said it about Chelsea, and it's definitely the case with Manchester United. Those two teams have probably overachieved so far when you look at the table. And I don't think either of them at this moment in time could have gone toe-to-toe with Liverpool or Manchester City in that second half. We're going to learn a lot more about United over the next six or or seven weeks. And I think Chelsea at the moment are maybe picking up points where they don't necessarily deserve to so I, I think you're right having tipped Chelsea at the start of the season I'm now starting to lean towards Liverpool I have to say It is a blockbuster beginning to our weekend of football Manchester United against Everton Wan-Bissaka right angle of the penalty area lovely little shimmy produced across the back post Martial is there and he's missed the target here is Cavani into the area across into the box he heads the ball down and it's turned away by Pickford and it's out for a corner Gray lovely little swivel towards the edge of the box right footed shot brilliant save by De Gea down to his right good ball into Fernandez. lovely little command of the football sets up Martial who runs onto it right footed what a goal brilliant set up from 
Fernandes, wonderful finish for Martial. Curls it through the goalkeeper, 1-0 Manchester United, and that has to be said, is against the run of play. And there's space on this near side for Andros Townsend, who first into the box, right-footed, what a goal on the counter-attack from Andros Townsend. And what a celebration as well, he's only gone and taken off Cristiano Ronaldo with his celebration, that is absolutely top, top draw. Popper with a shot, curling towards the far stick, Pickford wasn't moving, the ball wasn't moving enough for Paul Pogba either to curl back in and kiss the inside of the post. Celebrations in the away end, heads being scratched amongst the Manchester United support. Manchester United won, Everton won. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer left Ronaldo, Jadon Sancho and Paul Pogba on the bench. Did it backfire, Alex Grew? Um, did it backfire? Well, of course it backfired because they didn't win the game. And um, I was listening to you and Trev driving to my game on Saturday and you both said, this is a massive call. Whether he's dropped or he's rested or if it's a combination of the two, if Manchester United don't win this afternoon, there are going to be questions to be answered. That's exactly what happened. Um, I think Ollie's maybe tried a bit of kidology afterwards by saying, well, only I and Cristiano really know the truth. We know more than you journalists. Ronaldo's reaction at full time told its own story, stomping straight down the tunnel in a very angry fashion. Clearly, he didn't expect not to start the game. He expects to start every game. And I just think this is a classic case of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer maybe trying to flex his muscle, trying to prove that he is the power at Old Trafford and putting himself under pressure. It was another poor performance from Manchester United. It was interesting, actually, because uh, when I went down to do the interviews, I had to wait for a very long time to do the interview with uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because he was giving a rather demonstrative dressing down to a Norwegian TV reporter as well. It did feel it did have the sense of a day when he was trying to make a point, if I'm completely honest with you. Um, Ronaldo actually did have a, quite a limited impact when he came on to Trevor. Is, is that fair? He did, yeah. Um, they were one nil up actually when he when he came on, so he didn't have the kind of effect, the positive effect, the impacts that he, that Oli would have wanted him. But for me, I mean, it's, it's easy to point the finger and say Ronaldo should have scored. He's played the last two games, have had a difficult run. Um, obviously, playing in Europe midweek, there wasn't a lot of time to rest. I could understand the rest. I think the most diff- disappointing thing, and a lot of people have missed out on this. I thought Cavani's come in to the side, and he was really poor. Didn't make you know, an was impact, a big, did he? He had no impact. Last season, I was such a big fan of his. The way he was sharp, the way he was the catalyst to pressing out of possession, his work rate. He almost set the tone for Manchester United last season. And yeah, I was disappointed with his his impact in the game or lack of it. And, um, you know, Martial as well brought into the side. Um, There's been a lot of, you know, opinions about Martial. He's He's had a lot of time at the football club. But I thought he was decent. I thought he got his goal. He grew in confidence and... Yeah, that's a, that's a forward step for him and hopefully he can build on that. But yeah, Cavani was the most disappointing thing for me. You did. You thought he did quite well and you thought you could see something there. I thought he scored the goal and did absolutely zero else. Um, I, I it's It's been 15 games since he scored a goal. He got that goal. I mean, he was taken off after 57 minutes. I thought there was a reason for that. Um, it was a brilliant goal. It was really well taken. But a lot of that was down to the construction of it. Greenwood, brilliant pass. Fernandez, wonderful touch. Yeah. Um, but actually, they could have lost the game. You know, if Tom Davis had a little bit more sort of awareness about where his teammates were and maybe a bit more of a killer instinct, that goal goes in past David De Gea. It's over. Yeah, I don't necessarily blame um, Tom Davis because I think he did the right thing. I think basically he rolled it across the face of goal. If Yerry Mina times his run, it's a tap in and Everton win the game. So I think it's a bit harsh to say that. Davis didn't have the confidence to take the shot on. I think had he have selfishly taken the shot on and and missed, then that teammate in the middle would have been absolutely furious that the pass didn't come across. But you're right, in the end, United were lucky um, to escape with a point. You mentioned we know why Martial was taken off after 57 minutes. To me, it looked like pre-planned substitutions. Clearly, Oli had promised Ronaldo the final half an hour I don't know if you can do that in the Premier League. Mm. I don't know if you can pre-plan your changes. Well, possibly not. Uh, Andros Townsend's equaliser was an unerring finish, though, wasn't it? Uh, a key moment to me, though, in the build-up to the goal was 
when Fred is about as strong as a wet tissue on the far <laughs> side with Damari Gray. Yeah, but um, not just that. Not just yeah. that. How many times this season have we seen Manchester United get done like that for too high a line? Harry Maguire against Newcastle for the goal that they scored. It happened in the following home match at Old Trafford and actually they got away with it on that occasion. There's a problem there. If, if you're conceding goals from your own corner, I mean, that is Sunday league stuff. And it's well, happened It's happened it's twice. The rounds where you see all of the Manchester United defenders tra- tra- travelling back. There's six of them all on the edge of the D. And obviously Tom Davis on... Uh, over inside the penalty for the last for the goal that was disallowed just sort of shows you a sort of a lack of disorganized lack of organization yeah. that didn't seem to really have been addressed like I spoke to Ollie afterwards that he was very clear that they're building something um they've dropped five points in the in the space of seven days can you see that Trevor can you see them building something slowly can you see the potential um, of them of things coming together for them not really I think I look at the, the the team I look at the what they've got available to play in that team and Obviously, Donny van der Beek's not being um, considered. So I don't know what Ollie's missing or seeing in training, which, you know, you look at him as a £40 million player. He's came in and he's not really been given an opportunity. So he can't be doing it in training because when he gets his opportunities, he looks a little bit anxious. He looks like this is his last chance and he's not doing it. And I look at the holding two midfielders and, you know, as hardworking as they are and um, as honest both the players are, I don't think they dovetail well. You know they've got they've not got that variety. They're both quite. They both want to sit. No one surges forward. They've not really got that creativity between the two of them, and I just think that's holding Manchester United back with the the, the attacks that build from the back through that midfield. It, it's just disjointed. And just going back to the goal, let's let's just appreciate what Damari Gray does as well because I know yeah. Fred should have put him in Rose Z and taken a yellow card for that. But Damari Gray under pressure at top speed, holding uh, Fred off, keeping the ball in at the same time, chopping it, having the awareness and, and the technical ability to pick out um, his teammate, who was Decore, who we knew, and we, we said this before the game, with his legs and his ability to get forward and cover the ground, caught up with play. And then it, as soon as he got to win, Manchester United were in trouble. He picked out the right pass. And what a great finish that was um, by... Uh, uh, Townsend um, in the end to, to get the equaliser but that was nothing more or less than Everton deserved because in the end I thought they were unlucky to drop two points It's good for Trevor to finally acknowledge a decent bit of wing play maybe it was because it was against <laughs> Manchester United where he didn't really sort of give that sort of lyrical waxing over Mo Salah's effort but anyway maybe it's I different when you're there yeah yeah of course yeah um, I did speak to Rafa after the game as well and I, I thought it was quite interesting that we sort of discussed the idea of going to Manchester United getting a point the players employing the structure that he put in place and then coming away with something actually gives him a little bit of a, a boost in terms of his reputation with the players his standing with the players I said to him, do you think they'll buy into more of your ideas because you've come away from a big game like this with a point? And he said, you know, that's really important because you can say all of these things in training. You can come up with all these ideas. You can structure a team. But actually, if it doesn't work, very quickly you get questioned by players. When it does work, they buy into you and you can build from it. It's a brilliant point for Everton when you look at the number of absentees. That really is what makes it even more disappointing for Manchester United. But... We've said before, Rafa Benitez has his critics, but I think he's been there. He's got the T-shirt. He's a manager who comes up with a plan. I think he's a manager that players, by and large, enjoy playing for. And he likes the challenge. You know, when the chips are down, when he's not got his top striker, he's he's missing some of his uh, better defenders, of going to someone like Old Trafford and coming up with a game plan that they executed perfectly, really. And, And as you say, but for that moment right at the end when Mina can't stay on side or when Davis doesn't go for goal they win the game and it would have been a historic victory for them Chelsea did win the game on Saturday 3-1 against Southampton and they are actually top of the table by a point as we speak going into the international break any coincidence Trevor that it was 1-1 on 65 minutes when Mason Mount wandered onto the field no he's underappreciated it's no 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 coincidence at all um, top player and you know I've heard pundits say it since then if you weren't sure what he brought to this Chelsea side, watch, watch his performance when he came on. Energetic, organised, um, effective. I call him clinical. I've been calling him clinical for a long time. Not with his finishing, with the workload that he gets through. And yeah. he, he, he's stunning. You know, talking about patterns of play. If you're a coach and you put on a drill, 
you're going to use him as a demonstrator every time because he is superb. He's so sound clinically with his with his uh, technical ability and his passing range. And um, he's a young player loving football and that clearly comes across. And Timo Werner has scored a goal, which was, let's be honest, a thing of beauty, absolute beauty. Uh, Ross Barkley playing a wonderful ball out to Afbilicueta on the half volley. He sends the ball centrally and it's tapped in by Timo Werner. There was actually another goal for Timo Werner, the 16th goal that has been disallowed for Timo <laughs> Werner via VAR. Does anyone feel like he's getting a little bit victimised, uh, rightly or wrongly? Um, Afbilicueta nicking the ball on the right-hand side. Was it a foul? I think it was a foul. Um, and I don't necessarily... Enough to overturn a goal? Yeah. Clear, I, I clear and obvious? I do, actually. Yeah, I, I think it was quite an obvious foul. And I don't go along with Adrian Durham's rhetoric that it was too far back in terms of phases of play because it, it was without that foul that the ball doesn't get crossed into the penalty area and therefore it, it doesn't end up in the back of the net. So, yeah. I agree with him. I think, I think it was too far back and I don't think it was clear and obvious. I do. I think it was at least two phases on. Yeah. The ball goes into the box after that foul. It gets recycled. It then gets put back into the box. And then when the ball falls to Timo Werner, he finishes They would itself. take you, if you when you're in the VAR room and they're taking you through stuff, and Trevor and I both did it last year, they would tell you that that, that was too far back for them to go and re-referee it. It's weird that they, they did that, I think. Well, we'll disagree on that one. And we'll probably disagree on this as well, because I don't think the James Ward-Prowse sending off was a red card. I think, I think it, was it was because it was mistimed. It was above the ankle and anything above the ankle is likely to be a red, especially if you're coming from behind. I think that. I, I mean, I must admit, when I first saw it, I thought, is it? Is it really a red? I thought it was harsh. It again. And, and do we think Chelsea would have gone on to win the game? 11 against 11? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think, I think, the I think they dominated the game before, actually. Chilwell gave away a penalty which equalised the game. Yeah, I think they dominated the game, but Manchester City dominated dominated the game against them. You know, they had sixty two percent possession forward, in the end. Trevor, I mean, come on. Yeah, but but I have to say, you don't know how the game's going to pan on, and these kind of sending offs do change games. But I I, I think it's harsh the sending off. You know, obviously that do is you? the the letter of the law now, and I just feel that there was there's no cynicism with, with the challenge. He's, he's definitely going for the ball. It is obviously mistimed. It's a foul. I think a yellow card should have been given, but this is the way the Premier League is now. Anything which is a little bit high is being, um, is being yeah. given a red card. For I that. think above the ankle in that scenario, they usually work on the premise that that is going to be a red card. Um, Loftus-Cheek, Barkley, Chilwell, all making contributions for Chelsea. Callum Hudson-Odoi, also insistent that he has to thrive for Chelsea to get in the England side. It's one of the reasons he doesn't want to go with the under-21s. Um, Thomas Tuchel doesn't appear to have got Chelsea perfect yet, but you can see the tools, the resources, and they do have quite a lot of strength in depth, it seems. Yeah, he's certainly utilising the squad. Um, what do we make of the form of Romelu Lukaku? Obviously started his second spell on fire. Just struggling to find that golden touch at the moment? Yeah, a little bit. I think it's it's, it's difficult because he's he's got a certain style of play. His hold-up play's improved. Uh, his link-up play's improved. I was at the game at Anfield and I thought that if there was a little bit more understanding between his midfielders and, and some of the more attacking defenders with his movement, he could have been in one or two times against Liverpool. And I just feel they're tinkering with that still and getting that relationship right, which I do with Jaden Sancho, actually. I thought Jaden's shown a lot more when he came off the bench on Saturday. Yeah. And uh, I think it's a similar kind of situation with uh, Romelu. And when they do get that right, defenders better be ready because he will be in a lot of good situations to score goals. If yeah, do. I agree with you. I think that's right. And I think you're right about Jaden Sancho. I think the last two games I've seen him play, actually, I thought he's been much better in. Um, Timo Werner works so hard, doesn't he? Uh, it was great to see him get his reward. Um, but what about Southampton, Crook? Um, four wins in 28 Premier League games since the Liverpool win. Seven without a win. Their worst run under Ralph Harsenhutl. Where's it going? Uh, well, at the moment, it isn't going very well. And I have to say that uh, just reading social media, there are a lot of Southampton fans who, who are quite concerned and, and maybe starting to to question Ralph Hasenhut. I mean, there aren't too many managers who could survive that kind of run that you've just mentioned. But I think it does get a bit easier for them uh, in terms of fixtures now after the international break. They've got Leeds at home, uh, then they've got Burnley at home, then they've got Watford away. 
uh, a cup trip to Chelsea as well. Then they've got Villa at home and Norwich away. So ask me again on November the 20th. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. West Ham and Brentford played out what was a humdinger of a game. Brentford winning it in the last few minutes, proving once again that West Ham don't keep clean sheets, Darren Lewis. Two in 18 Premier League games now. And what a win for Brentford in the last few seconds of the match. Um, Johan Visser with the goal that gave Brentford a deserved win. They bossed that game in the early stages. They were lucky not to be further in front. Crook, you commentated the game for TalkSport International. What was your feeling of it? I thought West Ham was sluggish uh, for the first half. I don't know if that's uh, a knock-on effect of playing in the Europa League, but they have lost both their matches after playing in that competition on a Thursday night. That's a habit that David Moyes will be keen not to get too far into. And I think actually that they showed character to fight back in in the second half. And when they equalised, it felt like the momentum was with West Ham. And then Brentford, as we know, Fantastic team spirit. Keep going to the end. I thought it was a wonderful finish uh, from Visa, who uh, clearly is going to be a bit of a super sub this season. And I think on the balance of play, it was a deserved victory. They made it difficult um, for West Ham. They they went direct at times, Brentford. That um, They tried to turn that West Ham back line. I think defensively, they kept Antonio reasonably quiet. And as Southampton proved a few weeks ago, if you do that, you do cut off a lot of West Ham's threat. But I'm looking at the performance of their two Czech players as well, West Ham. And maybe Trevor's got a view on this. Vladimir Sofal and Thomas Socek. Two fans' favourites already at London Stadium. But to me, both of them have just looked a little bit off the pace this season. I mean, Sofal in particular, I thought was really poor against Brentford. And Socek doesn't seem to be influencing games as much as he has done in the recent past. I think there's there's a couple of reasons for that. I think obviously the uh, the Europa 2020 in the summer, I thought that can take a lot out of you um, as a player, not just physically, I mean mentally, and then going straight into the Premier League again, where opposition teams and and and, and scouts and coaches know your strengths, whereas when they first came in, they didn't really know much about them. So they know a lot more about these two players and what they bring to West Ham. So I think that that's been worked out a little bit. But also, I mean, what you just touched on there, the Europa League, I think playing Thursday uh, and then coming and playing Sunday, it's, it's, a, it's a big ask. And when you're playing against a team that's not in Europe, which, you know, with all due respect, Brentford are not, they're fresh. They've had a full week to, uh, to prepare for this game. Uh, they're coming in. They don't have to rotate players. And, and actually, it's, it's a challenge now, I, th- I feel, for David Moyes to know which players are a little bit fatigued and to rotate and which players that are able to recover quickly enough to play in the next Premier League game. So that'll be a balance and that's for David Moyes. But at the moment, I agree with you, the first half especially, uh, very, very fatigued. And uh, yeah, I mean, Brentford, been brilliant, you know, played um, 
not defensive football. They've gone at every team they've played against. You know, got some great results starting with Arsenal and you know even the Liverpool result. And yeah, I think that I think they've been superb. And you look at where they stand now in, in the Premier League seventh. They've given themselves a great start to the Premier League and every chance to stay up this season. Tottenham up to eighth as well after a 2-1 victory over Aston Villa on Sunday. Three straight league losses ahead of Sunday's game. It was incredibly important for Spurs, for whom victory probably should have been more comfortable. Son is brilliant, isn't he? He really is. But Harry Kane missed a great chance and he's on his worst run in five years in the Premier League in terms of scoring goals. No Deli Alley in the starting lineup. several changes, no Cecil backline all over the place in terms of team selection, but they were a little bit more cohesive today, Crook. Yeah, they were. Um, I mean, you mentioned Son there and I said it a couple of weeks ago. For me, Harry Kane isn't Tottenham's most important player. He might be their most high-profile but Son is their most important player. And when he plays well, he makes them tick. It was a change of system uh, as well, wasn't it? I think he um, he played a 4-2-3-1 formation and that seemed to pay off. As you say, they created the better chances. And I thought what was telling was how quickly, having conceded the equalising goal, they then went straight up the other end and put themselves back into the lead because yeah. that shows great character. It shows great unity. And actually, I was just starting to hear a few whispers that maybe the players aren't particularly buying into Nuno um, in and around the training they, they ground. They so weren't whispers. They weren't whispers. They were <laughs> they were full on shouts. And, it, 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 and you weren't the only one to hear them. They were everywhere. I mean, does it show, Trevor, actually, that we get a little bit excited? There was an article discussing the problems with Spurs, I think, in the Telegraph last week, talking about unhappy players, unhappy staff, people in and around the club, not in a great place. There was one in the Times, which basically suggested that Nuno was already on borrowed time. Mm. They're eighth on 12 points. I mean, the league takes a little longer to settle than just seven games. Well, of course it does. And uh, I don't buy into that, players um, saying that they're not enjoying uh, the coaching, they're not enjoying the sessions, they're not enjoying the, the, the what the manager's getting them to do. Because at times, and I think if you ask the players at Everton uh, under Rafa, There'll be a lot of boring sessions, mm. but these sessions are so integral when you go to places like Old Trafford, when you go to places like Anfield. If you've not done that ground, if you've not done that work on the pitch, which it's not a five-a-side, it's not an eight-a-side, it's not fun scoring. It's getting into shape and being told, no, don't be there. Open your body up and stand there. It's not enjoyable, but that's what a strong manager does. So if the Tottenham players are saying that about Nuno, there's every chance he's doing something right to get them organised to try and get the performance better. Yeah, well, certainly it was much better, actually, on Sunday. And I was quite surprised how good they were in comparison to Aston Villa, who I think you and I, Trevor, have yeah. seen on a couple of occasions already this season. I know Crook, you were at Old Trafford for their win over Manchester United. We've all been pretty impressed by them so far this season. Actually, I wasn't today. And Danny Ings is struggling a little bit for a bit of form. Watkins took his goal really well, but Ings was on the periphery of the game. Yeah, he doesn't at the moment quite look like the same player that Scored all those goals for Southampton the season before last. Maybe this break uh, might do him good chance to recharge and, and get back to the training ground. But I suppose there's always a danger, isn't there, when Aston Villa pick up such a historic win. And you know, I was winding up an Aston Villa supporting friend of mine asking when the open top bus tour was because it was quite <laughs> emotional in the stands and with Dean Smith after that game at Old Trafford. Sometimes it's almost the after the Lord Mayor show. It's inevitable that after such a high, you have a bit of a come down. And I think that probably happened on Sunday. There's a couple of like key Alex Crook phrases that we should have like on an array ball, which we press every time he wants to sort of rub it into someone. It's like, oh, when you get in your open top bus parade, he always <laughs> says that. And that's definitely one of them, isn't it? That's the cliche Crook phrase. Crystal Palace 2, Leicester 2 was a two o'clock kickoff on Sunday. Honestly, an absolutely thrilling game, this one. Leicester, who look a shadow of the side they were last season. They go 2-0 up in the game against the run of play, really, according yeah. to our reporter, Sam Elod. And we were watching the game as well. And it, it did feel as if Crystal Palace had started quite well. But credit to Patrick Vieira, Alex, because he switches it up, brings on Elise, brings on Jeffrey Schlupp. They both come off the bench and score goals that gets a point for his team. Get much better than that for a manager, does it? When you make a double change and both players come on and make that kind of impact. I think they were unlucky to be behind in this game. It was a couple of individual mistakes from Joachim Anderson, who largely yeah. has been excellent, not just for Palace, but for Fulham last season as well. But yeah, good character from them to fight back from 2-0 down. But I said it on the boot room on Sunday night. Something isn't right with Leicester at this moment in time. They are 
making too many mistakes all over the pitch, but particularly in defence. They're too reliant on Jamie Vardy. What a start to the season for him. Six in seven Great in the Premier goal. League. What a finish that was, by the way. I mean, he gave the goalkeeper the eyes, whipped it in the bottom corner. It was a fantastic finish. If you take him out of the team, they are sh- struggling big time. Yeah. I, I commentated their game in Europe in midweek for Talk Sport 2. They weren't great in that one. I just wonder. I just wonder what the issue is at the moment. And well, this, I think again, in, in, injuries. I mean, Wesley Fofano, yeah. best defender that they've got, really, at his age and potential. He's out injured. Johnny Evans is the best footballer in their team. He's out injured. They've had other associated issues which have led to Soyonchu not playing particularly well, which is he's pretty much affected by what's happened at the European Championships and is having a bit of a wobble as a result of that. <laughs> They've had fallback issues with Bertram picking up COVID, so the relationships haven't been able to sort of cement themselves. It's early in the season. They've only played seven games and they've got the added issue that the squad is stretched because they're playing on a on a Thursday night. It's actually the first time since October 2003 that Leicester have failed to win a Premier League game in which they were leading by two or more goals at half-time. Um, their winless run in the competition is now extended to four matches, but it's the second time this season that they've thrown away a two-goal lead because they did it against Napoli as well. Um, Crook mentioned Jamie Vardy, but one of the issues is creating chances, isn't it, Trevor? Because only four mm-hmm. teams have created fewer chances per game than Leicester this season. They're 13th in the expected goals per game table. So yeah. you can moan about the defence as much as you like, but actually that's a damning statistic. That is a damning statistic, and but I have to agree, Johnny Evans, the experience he's got, you know, as an international, um, as a real experienced footballer, uh, a leader of the team from the back, especially organising. I think Sernchu struggled with that. Wesley Fafana, as we've mentioned, Madison's had a very difficult start to the season. Now I've seen him. He in played the- well in midweek when he came on. He yeah, I seen him. I seen him in the community shield, and I thought, this is it. He looked like he put on a few pounds of muscle. He looked like he was a little bit more physical. Because one of my uh, most disappointing things when I, when I would talk about Madison is he does great when he's on the ball and he gets in little pockets of space. But then when Leicester lose the ball, what does he bring to the team? And I didn't see enough out of possession. Now, in that community shield, I've I seen him coming back, getting the ball back, closing players down. But then he's picking up injuries. He's not playing. But I think it is. It's, you know, you look at players that they brought in. Dakar not really got going yet. Um, Samare, you know, he looks like he's a fantastic specimen and it looks like he could bring something to the table for the team, but Chowdhury's playing in front of him. So what, what does that say about, because Brendan's going to look at him in training and say, well, Chowdhury's getting the better of him. He's got to start or else he loses the squad. So it's a difficult one, but there's certainly something not quite right. And yeah, Brendan Rodgers has got a lot of work to do at Leicester City. It is a blockbuster beginning to our weekend of football. Manchester United... Against Everton. All into Fernandez. Lovely little command of the football. Sets up Martial, who runs onto it. Right footed. What a goal. Brilliant setup from Fernandez. Wonderful finish for Martial. And there's space on this near side for Andros Townsend, who bursts into the box. Right footed. What a goal on the counter attack from Andros Townsend. And what a celebration as well. He's only gone and taken off Cristiano Ronaldo with his celebration. That is absolutely top, top draw. Jimenez turning smartly just inside the Newcastle half. He's found Huang, who can burst into the area, left foot shot, brilliant finish from Wang Hee Chan, he is a new star of Molineux. Leeds United 1, Watford 0 and the goal has been coming, it's come from a set piece, corner from the Leeds right, whipped in, it was cleared out of the six yard box, none too convincingly, it fell to Diego Llorente, his third appearance of the season and he fired it past Foster. Big moment for Ben Chilwell, what a miserable few months he's had, Thomas Tuchel has got the win, it's Chelsea 3, Southampton one. Burnley nil, Norwich City nil. In 43 previous meetings between these sides, there had never been a goalless draw, so at least the 17 and a half thousand here have seen a bit of history. They've seen precious little else. It's all square in the end for Brighton and Arsenal, so Brighton aren't going to go joint top of the Premier League with Chelsea, but another impressive performance, keeping out one of the Premier League's elite at the Amex Stadium. Burnley nil, Norwich nil. The bottom six have played 41 games between them this season. And between them, they have won twice. 
Uh, Norwich and Burnley are so bad, they can't even score against one another. Um, the most notable incident has to be the punch by Tim Krull in the head of Matty Vidra, which is seriously comparable to lo- the Loris incident at the Euros and should have actually generated a penalty for Burnley, I think. Well, first of all, should we say congratulations to Norwich? I think they managed two shots on target. They managed to keep out the scoring machine that are Burnley. So maybe their season is now off and running. But they should have lost the game. Hold on, I think think he's being sarcastic there. Just make sure that we (laughs) underscore that just in case anybody hasn't realised. But they should have lost the game because it was a penalty. I mean, how that's not been given by, well, by the on-field officials and then ignored by VAR, he's punched him in the head. All right, it's not deliberate. He's going for the ball. He's punched him with both fists in the head. How can that not be a penalty? It sounds ridiculous. And what's even more ridiculous is, is that we actually heard that the, the VAR looked at it quite a lot for a long period of time. It wasn't like it was a short delay and then they just glanced at it and thought, oh no, he was going for the ball, don't worry about it. They looked at it for a long time and it's pretty clear that Tim Crawl doesn't get anything on the ball before he almost takes the checks block off. Um, it's very difficult to know what to say about that, Trevor, apart from... Norwich got away with one, didn't they, there? They did, but I'm putting myself in the player's boots or, you know, his shirt at that stage. And which, which player? The one that's punching the player in the head or the one that's the getting, one that's punched, getting punched And you don't mind taking a punch when you know you're going to be rewarded for that. So you're going to get there first. You can see Tim Krull is committed to that challenge already. He's going to definitely go to punch the ball. You're there first. You'll take one in the face for the team because you'll know you'll get a penalty. And for them then to go to, well, first Kevin Friend, not give the penalty, and then to go to the eye thinking 100% Stonewall pen, well worth taking the whack in the head. And then for that to still come back as a negative and you've been chinned, you're absolutely gutted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Anyway, it finished 0-0. Sean Dyche actually said afterwards, and I thought this was probably quite a pertinent point. Yeah, the performance was fine, but we've got to stop saying that we're putting together decent performances and not putting points on the board. That is going to be a problem going forward. And the bottom three at the moment, as it stands, Burnley, Norwich and Newcastle, none of them are doing that. Uh, Brighton nil, Arsenal nil. Um, It it was our game on Saturday night. Um, Look, it was okay. It was quite entertaining. You know, Crook will be happy because with the boy Ramsdale kept another clean sheet. And, you know, uh, one of the things I will say, is that him being at Arsenal, he's playing out from the back and using his feet quite a lot. And at international football level, and we're, you know, we're only interested here because Crook is basically bet us to within an inch of all of our lives <laughs> that Ramsdale is going to be the England number one. It is possible because he is learning to or is being encouraged to play with his feet and he's good at it, which is important going forward because that's something that Nick Pope at Burnley was very obviously not good at, which is why when he came into the team, it was a bit of an issue. But apart from that, Oh, was there a penalty at the end? Maybe, I think, for Brighton, possibly. There wasn't much to talk about, was there? No, I mean, it could have been a penalty. I think Brighton were the better team. Yeah, They they created the clearer chances. I mean, Ramsdale didn't actually have a lot to do, having said that. He made one really good save to claw the ball away a couple of minutes from time. I think what it tells us is that Arsenal is still a work in progress, and they have made progress under Mikel Arteta, but they still can't really be talked about as serious contenders at the top end of the table with performances like that. Yeah, I mean, again, it's very difficult to catch how well they've done. They've, I think they've won a couple of games by the odd goal to nil against Norwich, Burnley. They thrashed AFC Wimbledon. They've beaten Tottenham Hotspur, who were very poor at the time. And they've drawn nil-nil with Brighton. So in terms of the level of opposition that they're playing... It's very difficult to sort of assess how far they've moved forward, but they are keeping clean sheets, which is incredibly important. Let's move on to um, maybe one of the biggest stories of the week, really. Leeds beat Watford by a goal to nil, but subsequently Watford have sacked their manager as a result of four defeats in seven. They've got seven points from seven games. Now, I'm not a particularly good mathematician, but I work out that that's a point per game. If they were to replicate that over the course of the season, that would be 38 points. But not acceptable to the Pozzos. It's going to be Claudio Ranieri, who's going to be the 15th manager in 10 years at Watford, the 10th manager in six years under the Pozzos. Trevor, right or wrong? Who can who can say? I mean, I've, I've spoken about this many times with the Pozzo family and, and Watford, um, it seems to be their um, philosophy 
get a manager in, let him get into the players. As soon as the results start to dip away, get rid and get a new manager in. I don't understand it. It's not the football that I understand where you build relationships, you you improve, you make mistakes, you improve, you get the best out of players, you, you build that relationship with the players, the club, the, the board. And hopefully if you've hired the right man in the first place, which is the board themselves, that starts to generate better results and you move forward as a club. That doesn't seem to be the same philosophy at Watford Football well, Club, unfortunately. Well, that is quite interesting, isn't it? You say, if you've hired the right manager in the first place, this is a guy, with all due respect, and he had a relatively normal playing career, it was not anything more than that, um, who managed on an interim basis a, a municipal club from Tier 5 in Spain, and then had about six months in charge of Dinamo Tbilisi, was plucked from relative obscurity to take over Watford at the age of 40. I mean, that seems like a bad hire to me. I mean, I haven't spent a lot of time hiring people for a long time now, but when we used to do it, we used to go in quite in-depth into to, to getting the right or the wrong people. That doesn't seem to me to be a particularly good hire. Well, you hired me, so um, let's, let's not go too far down that route. Actually, that is a good point. I think he was a good tonic, uh, from what I'm told, to his predecessor, uh, Vladimir Ivich, I think was the, the previous guy. You lose track with Watford, but he was quite a negative character. I think he was quite... Um, uh, he, I think Munoz brought a more upbeat mentality to the training ground. Certainly that helped in terms of securing promotion last season. I saw them at Brighton. Um, in their second match of the season, they were poor, Watford. They seemed tactically to be lacking um, and, and he didn't really seem to have the capability to influence much from the, the sidelines. is it? That isn't a shock. I mean, if a guy's managed a professional team for six months in his whole career, it's not a shock that he's not going to have all of the tools in his armoury to be able to be tactically um, adept. He raised the tempo of the training. He's put a smile on people's faces. They've got up. You know, he, he's not Claudio Ranieri, who has got a, a backlog of or, or, or a background of being a professional manager. It just seems a very strange way of operating. It was a strange hire, I think is what we're saying. It's not necessarily a strange fire because yeah. the performances haven't been great and they've got a difficult run of games coming up as well, uh, starting with Liverpool at home live on TalkSport the first Saturday back oh, after yeah. the international break. I'm they've got to go one. to... Well, it makes it more interesting now. They've got to go to Everton. They've got to go to Arsenal. They've got Manchester United at home. They've got to go to Leicester. And they have to host Chelsea all before the end of November. So I think this is just the Pozzo family maybe seeing the writing is on the wall and trying to make a positive change before that difficult run of games. I guess it makes it difficult as a Watford fan to attach yourself to a particular manager or a particular style of play, knowing that the whole playbook is going to be torn up every six months yeah and it's also hard because I mean I think one of the sort of saving graces for Watford is they had Troy Deeney there and Troy was the the pillar of stability he was always there so the managers would come and go and whatever but but, but Troy was there now he's not there it's very difficult you know even people like Will Hughes have departed the scene now it's now Ben Foster isn't it I guess who is, is taking on that mantle from Deeney but he's about 153 so he's not going to be there forever <laughs> is he I mean, you know I mean he's a good goalkeeper and he's you know he's brilliant company and he's a great sort of orator but he's not going to be there forever is he unless it, I mean they give him the job next is not beyond the realms of, of possibility mm. he might have it by Christmas um Look, they, they were sloppy in possession and passive for large parts of the game against Leeds United. They had a goal ruled out in the second half for a foul in the build-up after Ilan Millier fumbled the ball. Actually, it should have stood that way. I mean, there was no reason why that goal should have been disallowed. I mean, Watford were unlucky not to get on the score sheet there, but they also should have given away a penalty when Dan James appeared to be fouled in the first half as well. So maybe things evened themselves out and Leeds were right to get their first three points of the season, which I think Marcelo Bielsa would be particularly happy about. Wolves beat Newcastle 2-1, Trevor. Mm -hmm. um, and a, courtesy, a win courtesy of two exquisite finishes by Huang. Yeah, I mean, listen, new player. Um, you bring in new players, you give them some game time and you hope that they can hit the ground running and start to impact the team in a good way. And He's done superb. You know, I like his energy. He's technically very good. He's got a good physical presence on the pitch. 
And uh, yeah, he's been a real positive uh, for Wolves. And, you know, the goals that he scored, his performances, uh, I think the manager must be very, very happy with what he's brought to the team. And they're just starting to look more comfortable as a side. You know, Raul Jimenez's goal last week, uh, the performances in general, the, the feel-good factor around the club just seems to be picking up. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a fantastic win for them. Flip side of that is uh, Steve Bruce, Newcastle. It goes from bad to worse. And yeah, I, I really fear for, for Steve now because I don't think he was really welcomed at the football club like he should have been. Um, he's had a different, difficult tenure at the football club and I thought he did very well towards the back end of last season. This season started off poorly and yeah, I think they're going in for blood and it's going to be a difficult time for, for Steve, I feel, until they get through this. Newcastle have scored more goals than almost everyone in the bottom half of the table. They've scored more goals than Tottenham. They've scored the same goals as Brighton. They've scored more goals than, than Arsenal. But they've conceded the most in the league and that is their issue, Alex. Yeah, they seem to have a soft underbelly um, and... Yeah, I've said before, and I think it's more pertinent now when it comes to mental health, Steve Bruce can't be enjoying this job. You know, they get beat every week. He knows the fans don't want him there. Even when they play okay and put on an entertaining game, as they did against Leeds a couple of weeks ago, still the fans are shouting, we want Bruce out. And you just can't, at the moment, see that he's going to have the tools to turn but, this but, around. I mean, we're, we're, we're being naive here, right? Mike Ashley loves this. He mm. loves this. He, this is great for him. He's employed Steve Bruce. The fans just sit there and have a go at Steve Bruce all the time. Rightly, wrongly, whatever, doesn't matter. The fact is, he's the lightning rod. He gets all of the abuse, all of the stress, all of the issues, and no one even mentions the words Mike and Ashley. Not very often, anyway. Certainly, no, they don't true. mention Lee and Charlie together, do they? No, it's very true. But surely you'd have to be quite a, a, a sick individual to, to actually you know, approach it that way because he's... We know he's a gambler, but he's playing roulette with Newcastle's Premier League future because at the moment, Steve Bruce doesn't look like the man to turn it around. It looks like all the odds are stacked against him. It looks like they're going down into the championship and Mike Ashley, we know, wants to sell the club. It's much less of a sellable asset in the championship than if they're still in the Premier League. So it's yeah, it's a fascinating story for us as outsiders looking on, but I do feel a lot of sympathy for the, the, the long-suffering Newcastle fans. Yeah, they were going down last year. They probably should have done. They were overperforming on the data last year. You know, it was pretty clear to most observers who anybody who looked under the surface, under the hood of what was going on in the, you know, in the Newcastle United uh, setup, that if they didn't get off to a great start, they were going to be in a ma- major fight to stay in the league. They've got Tottenham next at home. Then they go to Crystal Palace. Then they entertain Chelsea. Then they go to Brighton. Then they've got Brentford at home and Arsenal away. I mean, let's be completely clear: if you were a betting man, you'd bet that they get no points out of any of those uh, matches. Um, you know, they've got Norwich and Burnley at the beginning of December, but you can see a situation where Mm. they, Norwich and Burnley, very quickly start to formulate a very solid bottom three at the bottom of the table. Please for Wolverhampton Wanderers and please for Jimenez, who I thought was brilliant, actually. His link-up play with Huang was excellent and led to those two goals. Um, Trevor, thank you very much for for, for the weekend. Um, No wins for either of your your two teams. Is there another team that you can latch on to? Oh, oh, sorry. I think I saw you tweet about Celtic, actually. Jota, Celtic, yes. Yeah, they won in the last five minutes. They just about got over the line against Aberdeen, didn't they? Yeah. Jota. I saw that. Yeah, fantastic. So, oh, you've got something to celebrate then. Uh, and Crook, have a good international break. Try and sort yourself out. Have you got a crunchy this week? Have you got a crunchy? <laughs> I have, we, actually. People don't know this, but Crook had to leave a live radio show last week um, because he was so malnourished, he had to go and buy a crunchy from a vending machine and he missed the first 10 minutes of a programme, wow. leading him to get chastised by the, 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 the bosses at TalkSport. Have you got a crunchy um, now? There's a little bit of spin on that story. Yes, I've got a crunchy. Darren Bent bought me one. I missed two minutes of a programme and I was getting a roast dinner because I needed a hot meal <laughs> and I got the crunchiest dessert. <laughs> In the middle of a programme, you went to get a roast dinner. Brilliant. Who does that? He needs food. I've been working all day. <laughs> Go on, Cookie. You are... Yeah, I just... Sorry. I just cannot fault your 
unprofessionalism. Uh, right, thanks for downloading the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Remember, the post-match pod is here every Sunday, uh, well, every Monday morning, uh, for you to download when you wake up. And on Thursdays, we have got the preview to the ultimate Premier League rundown. We'll go through every single match. Uh, no Premier League next week. It's international break, so we'll be back in 10 days' time. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.